Good morning, seminarians. In my life, I've had the privilege of being a keynote speaker. I've had the privilege of even being a closer of a conference. But this is my first time of being a stand-in. I'm standing in for the speakers who should have been here, but Hurricane Dorian derailed their plans. So I'd like you to do something for me and with me. I'd like you to get your Bible, whether one in the pew or whether it's on your device. Find your Bible. And then I want you to stand and hold them as high as you can. And I want you to repeat after me. You have to listen. Beautiful, all phones, mostly. Just the few old schoolers with books. And I'd like you to repeat after me these words that I've written from the writings of Ellen White. Repeat after me. This is my Bible. It's the inspired word of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Our only rule of faith. And life-changing guide for daily living. In it is wisdom unquestionable. Instruction inexhaustible and principles irreducible, and principles to, guide us in and to guide us in trials and temptations. We are here to study it earnestly. Practice it faithfully and share it fervently. So help me God. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm a naturalized citizen of the United States. My mic isn't working, so just use this one, okay? Are you with me? Up there in the eagle's nest? Okay, can you hear me now? All right, great. I'm a naturalized citizen of the United States who was born in Jamaica and raised in England. As a result, I have three accents going at the same time. <laughs> I pronounce some words in Jamaican, some in British, and most in American. And people have a hard time ever figuring out where, where I'm from. It's always a pleasure to visit or vacation at least once a year, as I did this last July, in my beloved island in the sun. However, one of my biggest disappointments while there is the sight 
of so many big, potentially beautiful, but unfinished houses. They were obviously started with a vision and built to fulfill a dream. Yet, for whatever reason, decades later, some are still unfinished, incomplete, empty, concrete ghosts and shells of what they were designed to be. In some towns, several of these broken down, abandoned buildings are on almost every street. Their only residents are wild dogs and weeds growing out of control. They are ruined by rain and hurricane strength winds, which pour in through gaping holes originally intended to be windows and walls. And every time I pass these abandoned edifices, and there are too many to count, I think to myself, there's nothing, absolutely nothing, sadder than something built or born for a purpose that never fulfills their potential. The sad news is, it's not only unfinished abandoned buildings in Jamaica, which never fulfill their purpose, but also a number of men, women, boys and girls in this nation, and sadly, in our denomination. Some are women, even in this very room, who are standing at a crossroad with the weight of the world on their shoulders and backs against the wall. They were born with great potential and were called by God, but will have to defer their dreams and may never fulfill their divinely designated purpose because they are discouraged by a church that sometimes makes policies that are not based on biblical principles. Others are men, some in the hearing of my voice, who were divinely endowed to be great preachers and teachers of the word, but will never live up to their potential because they allow the enemy to cheat them out of their divine destiny with sordid and tawdry temptations. Unfortunately, such failures to launch are not a new phenomena in the human family. For according to scripture, Adam and Eve were divinely designated to live forever by eating from the tree of life. But as you know, they disobeyed God, ate the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and failed to re realize their divine, their divine potential and purpose. Lot's no-name wife was offered divine provisions and protection, which eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, and minds have not even been able to conceive, yet she was so obsessed with her material acquisitions and lusted after earthly possessions in Sodom and Gomorrah that she never fulfilled her divine potential. Samson, the legendary Israelite warrior and judge, is renowned and remembered to this day for his extraordinary strength and uncut hair. He had the surpassing privilege of being divinely anointed from conception, but failed to fulfill his powerful potential because of his insatiable lust 
for forbidden food and females. And who can forget Judas? He was born with so much promise. His parents gladly named him Judas, which means let God be praised. But his inclination as a religious zealot and assassin led him to betray the Messiah. And since then, his name is forever synonymous with betrayal and double-crossing of the worst kind, to the point where hardly anyone in modern times will name their child Judas. Throughout human history, the list of those born with exceptional promise or potential is very long, yet most lived like incomplete, unfinished buildings. Only a few lived up to their giftedness and reached this status spiritually, materially, and professionally, as did the ancient king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. His name means Yahweh has judged. And he was named after a valley where ancient Israel believed that all nations would be gathered by God for the final judgment. He was generally regarded as one of the great kings of the Old Testament. But on closer examination of his life and leadership, he is memorialized in scripture, not for the great things he has done, but for the fact that he built a fleet of ships that never sailed. This fourth king of the kingdom of Judah and successor of his father Asa took the throne at 35 years of age. He spent the first year of his 25-year reign fortifying the kingdom of Judah against Israel. Especially of note was his passion and dedication inherited from his father to reform worship and return it to focus on the one true God. In fact, Jehoshaphat began his reign, much like his father, with a lot of spiritual and material success. So how could he be charged with the remarkable failure of building ships that never sailed? Did he fail? Because despite his outstanding religious revival and reformation, idolatrous worship returned and the practices crept back into his kingdom? Did he fail because, his, he, like his father, he had to redo the Reformation more than once? The answer is a resounding no. Those were not the reasons why he failed. Because, to his credit, he did everything without faltering or failing to keep his commitment to God, for which he was greatly favored and blessed by both God and men and women. In fact, after he drove out all the prostitutes, perverts, and spiritually promiscuous people from his kingdom, after he broke down the altars of idols and cut down the groves, he sent princes to teach the people the laws of God and while he was seeking peace with them and for them. As a result, he was exceptionally blessed by God. 
But before he died, Jehoshaphat discovered, as we must, that to please God is never just about cleaning up public places, presenting burnt offerings and sacrifices, or avoiding the appearance of evil. For it's not enough to tear down the groves and altars of pride, prejudice, and poor spiritual commitment. As new creatures in Christ, we must simultaneously fill our heart and mind with God's grace. It's not enough to discard outdated traditions of our church, but we must replace them with divinely inspired biblical and profitable teachings for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. It is not enough to long for or lust after positions of leadership in big churches, conference offices, or on university campuses. We must diligently study the word of God to show ourselves approved of him and exercise humility and wisdom as leaders adequately equipped for every good work. You see? When we tear down the strongholds of evil, we must replace or fill the empty spaces with the one true God. Otherwise, as scripture tells us, as it is written, seven other more evil spirits will fill that void. In fact, Jehoshaphat and his princes replaced what was torn down with teaching God's law to his people. And it is reported that the fear of the Lord fell on their counties, and not only on their counties, but on all the surrounding countries. For when we build on the spiritual foundation, when we preach and teach biblical truths, when we live a life that is true and free in Jesus, our influence will ripple beyond the borders of Andrews University into the wider community and world. And because Jehoshaphat replaced evil with good, his reign was divinely blessed and enriched with material means and wise leaders. He built castles, he built storehouses, he increased business in Judah and gathered many mighty men of valor to serve him. In fact, hundreds and thousands of warriors aligned themselves with this king and Judah flourished as did our denomination in the beginning. But something changed. You see, back then, when he obeyed God, his kingdom was known far beyond its borders and became a proverb of prosperity because Judah was the center of enlightenment. People assembled from near and far to observe and learn leadership skills, especially after Jehoshaphat after his amazing victory over the magnificent Moabite alliance reported in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. If you will open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We won't read all of those verses. I want to draw your attention to them and remind you that, sure enough, on that magnificent day when they won the battle against the Moabites, 
They didn't even wield a sword or throw a javelin. Yet a mighty victory was won for them by God. As a matter of fact, the miraculous way that battle was won has made the phrase in verse 13, the battle isn't yours, but it's the Lord's. It's become like a, a phrase, a familiar phrase. But if you continue reading the rest of chapter 20, you'll come across his strange and particularly tragic obituary. So let's look again, as if for the first time, at verses 35 through 37, and chapter, 2 Chronicles 20, 35 through 37, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, and he acted wickedly in so doing. So he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships in Ezion Geber. Then Eliezer, the son of Dodavahu of Marahesh, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. So the ships were broken and could not go to Tarshish. And now to 1 Kings 22, verses 48 to 53. And Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir for gold. But they did not go for the ship, for the ships were broken at Ezion Geber. And then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, and uh, said to Jehoshaphat, let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat was not willing. And Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of his father David. And Jehoram, his son, became king in his place. Ahaziah, in the meantime, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. Listen to this. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father Ahab and in the way of his mother Jezebel and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. So he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. There are perhaps few things more appalling to think about or even see than a fleet of ships that were built and fitted with the best equipment to transport a lot of gold, but never sailed from their harbor because they were broken before leaving port. You see, while ships today are built for cruises and war, back then they were primarily constructed for commerce and transporting cargo on the high seas. 
They were big vessels designed to speedily cut through the rough, often unpredictable oceans, catch the wind in their giant sails, and forge forward to locations otherwise considered unreachable. And to those ancient folks, there was nothing, absolutely nothing, to look at that was more magnificent than a fleet of ships being made ready to sail to Ophir and in distant Africa for gold. Thus, Jehoshaphat's ships were special eye candy in the region. They were built like the unsinkable merchant ship of Tarshish in which Jonah hitched a ride. They were constructed with space to transport large merchandise and fragile wares in the cargo bay. They were fitted with the finest sails bearing hand-embroidered emblems made by the most gifted seamstresses alive in their day. They were ready to transport captains and numberless sailors, some of whom were also trained to be mighty warriors. But, regrettably, Jehoshaphat's fleet would never sail. They were doomed before they departed port. They were not broken by bad weather. They were not, they were not sabotaged by human actions. They were divinely disabled and destroyed in the harbor, broken before they could set sail on the mission for which they were made because, according to scripture, Jehoshaphat acted wickedly. How, after such a bountiful biography, did he act so wickedly that God destroyed his fleet of ships? The answer, he rejected God's private and personal promptings and collaborated with a corrupt king who did evil in the sight of God. As we enter the second week of our training and education, I'm using those ships that never sail as a warning for us who've accepted God's high and holy calling to ministry. I know that as good and godly servants of the Lord, you already have ambitious plans and you're here to be equipped to successfully execute them. You have plans like Jehoshaphat for his fabulous fleet of ships to evangelize and change our world where wonderful children of great potential are living like ships that are doomed to never sail. I believe your goal is to reach and teach them to go for the real gold, who is Jesus Christ. However, we must beware of Jehoshaphat's ungodly practices because we can easily overlook them in ourselves. We can easily not only overlook them, but take them for granted in ourselves. These will cause God to derail our plans or disable our proverbial ships so that they never sail. First thing, beware of comparing yourselves to others or be jealous of their accomplishments, as did Jehoshaphat. He was blessed beyond what most people could ever imagine. He had riches and military might, plus the fact that God personally looked out for him and granted him victory in the face of certain defeat. Yet, 
all that was not all that was not apparently enough because he became obsessed with and compared himself to King Solomon. You see, he read how King Solomon built ships that sailed to foreign lands and returned with great fortunes, according to 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 28. There it is written, and they, Solomon's ships, came to Ophir and fetched from thence 420 talents of gold and brought it to King Solomon. And when he read that, when he learned how Solomon's ships successfully sailed to Ophir, that distant place in Africa, and returned with a lot of gold, valued, some commentators say, at $150 million in that day. When he heard about all of that, he became very jealous. And when he heard the people speak of Solomon's success as a permanent proverb, Jehoshaphat became envious. As a great king, as great a king as he was, Jehoshaphat became green with envy, red-eyed with covetousness, which turned his brown eyes blue with jealousy as he compared himself to the great accomplishments of Solomon. And by making a deal with a devil-motivated king, he thought he could outdo what Solomon had done. Thus it is written in his brief biography that he acted wickedly before God. Let's start living as if we believe the positions to which God has called and placed us is the best and the right ones until he does otherwise. For as the Apostle Paul warned in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12, we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves for they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are insane, not wise. Paul said that. Let's never ever get caught up in the diabolical game of trying to leave a legacy that's greater than those who've gone before us. Instead, do whatever the Lord gives you, whatever he's put your hand to do, do it with all your might, not to please people, but to please God. Second, beware of aligning yourselves or entering into partnership with ungodly people to get ahead quickly. Under divine inspiration, Ellen White warned us to not form partnerships or alliances with ungodly people, as did Jehoshaphat, who had a big problem with God's timing. You see, he was about 60 years old by the time this happened, and he was operating under a premonition that his time on earth was coming to a speedy end without making his mark like or better than Solomon. His ill-advised actions imply that he felt the need to do something dramatic and do it quickly to ensure his legacy would be talked about as much as or even more than Solomon's. He was convinced that his time was running out to make a name for himself. Perhaps he didn't know what we know. 
that the only person in the entire Bible of whom it is said that their time is running out or is short is the devil. Believers in Christ have all the time in this world and the next. And although God's timing is often and sometimes very frustrating, we must never act like Jehoshaphat and take matters into our own hands. You see, Jehoshaphat and the kingdom of Judah didn't need gold. But you know who did? Ahaziah, whose name means God grasps or has taken and holds. He was the son of Ahab and Jezebel. He was a wicked man who didn't know or fear God. He had exhausted his own resources on wine, women, and wretched excesses and was looking for a way to fill his coffers with treasures, not to help Jehoshaphat, but to fill his own coffers. So he played on Jehoshaphat's jealousy and fears in order to persuade him to, to ambitiously build a fleet of ships to bring gold from Ophir. Now listen, we're not immune to the strategies of those who are like Ahaziah. For not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, or preach powerful sermons, or pray and praise passionately are godly persons. As a result, from time to time, there are a few bad apples roaming around the hollowed halls of this seminary with the attitude of King Ahaziah. They cheat and are brazen enough to offer answers to exams and papers for a prize to give you a better grade. They especially prey on those who seem anxious about running out of time to properly prepare for finals. But they're not doing it to help you, but to help themselves. Don't participate in their despicable, unethical acts. For even if you're not caught by your professors, God knows every heart and evil done in the darkness, and they will eventually come to light in his sight. One or two in this community of committed disciples of Jesus Christ who are braggadacious. You can see their swag and the way they talk. Because they think they are so bad and may participate in immoral acts or partake of addictive substances and will attempt to seduce you into thinking our rules and these core values that you see up front are only preventing you from enjoying life abundant. But if you don't want your life, your ministry plans, and your goals to be ruined as ships that never sail, be sure to not align yourselves with such ungodly people or take their advice and follow their schemes. And finally, beware of taking shortcuts to get ahead, especially during this phase of your preparation in the sacred work of ministry to which God calls us. Note that Jehoshaphat's Judah didn't need the gold. He himself didn't need help to build a navy. 
If that's what he wanted, he had plenty of resources, brilliant minds and men, opportunities galore, and more than anything, he had God's visible support on his side. But what he thought he didn't have was time. So he consorted with a corrupt king who convinced him of a shortcut. Jehoshaphat should have first sought God's counsel, then communicated with those who knew the sea in the venture to fetch gold from Ophir. He should have spent time with experienced sailors and seafarers, but instead, his desire to outdo Solomon's success in the short time he thought he had left caused him to hastily, without forethought, join forces with Ahaziah, king over Israel, who was raised in a privileged but corrupt household with no spiritually redeeming values. Furthermore, Ahaziah wasn't trained as a sailor or educated in shipbuilding, yet Jehoshaphat took the shortcut of consulting him instead of God or someone who knew the sea. And the outcome was that he built very expensive, a very expensive fleet of ships decked out with the best equipment at great financial and human labor costs that would never sail. I'm taking away from this three important lessons which I've summed up in three important words, blessed, blocked, and broken. You see, God blessed Jehoshaphat immeasurable, more than he asked or imagined. His nation was at peace. Their prosperity was a proverb in the region. Their treasuries were so full, the king had to regularly build new storehouses for the overflow. What God did for that ancient king, he will do for us, his modern princes and princesses. But when the king acted wickedly because of a jealous mindset, when he failed to trust and obey God's word and will, God blocked his plans and left him with a broken fleet of ships which never sailed. And to make sure the king knew who had destroyed his plans, God sent his prophet to prophesy against him, saying, because you allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. Friends, right now we are blessed. Our ships or ministries are divinely favored. But make no mistake, if or when we veer off the godly path and fail to repent or bow our knees and cry, pass me not, O generous Savior, God will block our plans and render them broken until we surrender all to him who reigns over all creation. So let's depart to serve God's anointed, who are privileged to serve as God's anointed, who are privileged to be part of the fellowship of the unashamed, which I've paraphrased in these words. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. We have Holy Spirit power. Our past is redeemed or present makes sense, or future is secure. We've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. We're finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. The die has been cast, 
and we won't look back. We won't look back. We won't look back. We won't let up. We won't slow down. We won't back away or be still so that by God's grace, ours will never, ever, ever be ships that never sail. Stand for the benediction. Let us pray. Lord, we've declared in your name that the die has been cast and we've made up our mind to serve our living Savior no matter what. May we go from this place to serve others as we serve you and be determined not to fall into the traps because of our history, because of our socialization, because of our conditioning, because of any reason that we might come up with. Let us never, ever, ever, Lord, fall out of your hands so that we become like ships that never sail. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.